Welcome TTB community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the very epical Elliot Shibley. You say epical? Epical. Yes. What is that? Uniquely or highly significant. Oh wow, that's a that's a nice one. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I've never heard that word before. <laughs> Neither have I. I researched it today. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, as always, uh, give a quick spiel of our partners and affiliates. So, Minivan of Memories, as we Bob and I refer to them as MOM, Mom, a blogging platform for travelers who want to share their stories but don't have their own platform. Little Passports is a monthly subscription for curious kids and some adults who love the world. Each month, a new package is sent containing new activities, souvenirs, or projects from different locations around the planet. Travel by Locals is like Airbnb, but for travel guides. They will connect you with a local in the city of your choice, where you're staying, whatever, and they will spend their free time, obviously for a charge, and guide you around the city. Lastly, if you are enjoying listening to our podcast, now that we are a year in, now that you've been with us for, this is a committed relationship, uh, please consider donating $1 per month on Patreon. For the cost of less than a bottle of water per month, you can help aid in our time and production of this podcast. That was supposed to be like an NPR fall. That, right? that felt very like scripted, like very radio-esque. So I think you nailed it. Wow, and you know what? You. Something that I don't think we really ever say when we introduce our partners is that um, in order for us to receive any sort of affiliate marketing uh, credit, you have to actually subscribe or use their websites through our website. So go to our website, click the, click the link. Click the <laughs> If you want to do many vivid memories, little passports, or travel by locals, if you go through our website, we actually like get a very tiny, very, very, very tiny yeah. um, portion of those proceeds. So, yeah, so that's one way to actually donate without donating to us. So today's conversation involved the ever so interesting topic of African safaris, actually global safaris, really. Our guest today is the founder of Safari Deal, which can be described as. It's like a one-stop shop for all the research you'll need to actually book a tour or a safari to any of these countries. Like an um, Expedia. Exactly, exactly. Like an Expedia or Orbitz. And so today our conversation revolved around travel logistics for safaris, African safaris, um, around wildlife conservation, and we even touched up on over-tourism. So I hope you enjoy it. We really enjoyed it. Without further introduction, please welcome Robin Comack. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Robin, thank you for joining the Traveler's Blueprint. Great. Thanks very much for having me. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you as well. So you reach out to us after listening to Garth's episode, and you and Garth actually go quite a ways back to uh, Zimbabwe. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, Zim for short. Um, Zim. You know, Garth, yeah, yeah, exactly. Zim or Zam, you know, Zim Zam bots. <laughs> um, so Garth and I, Garth and I know each other from the, what we call the old Zim days. You know, Garth was working as a guide in a, in a place called Matetsi, which was right next door to Vic Falls. You know, we met, we hit it off, and we've we've maintained this lifelong um, kind of friendship. We've both stayed in in the travel world. You know, Garth's a professional guide, and he's gone his way, and I'm more on the kind of uh, entrepreneurial side. You know, starting companies, providing marketing services to, to you know to people that uh, work in the tourism uh, safari industry all right and that's why we're talking to you today is because we want to talk to you well we want to learn more about safari deal 
and what you and your wife Claire have come up with. And it seems based on doing a little bit of research from your website and your social media pages that I'm gonna simplify it a little bit, but you wanna connect people passionate about wildlife with safaris, not just in Africa, but all over the world. And a lot of people specifically think safaris are only in Africa, but you take people to Siberia, to Mexico, to South America, all over the place. and. I just want you to kind of give us a little bit of the backstory and a bit of the behind the scenes of how you guys came up with this and how your passions and experience in life led you to this point. Okay, great. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the really short little kind of elevator pitch, I guess, is that Safari Deal uh, is an online marketplace for worldwide wildlife holidays and safaris, and we connect those interested travelers to our responsible tour operators. Um, and all of those hundreds of itineraries that are provided by our travel partners are all in one place. It's easy to research, compare, inquire, and then book that adventure wherever that adventure may be. Um, and you know, thanks for thanks for saying you know that you know safari is no longer this uh, Africa-focused uh, experience. You know, safari, the Swahili trans word, the translation of that just means a journey. Um, and if you tag that with a journey with wildlife, that's what we're about. So we work with travel partners across the globe as long as they can provide, um, we like to say extraordinary, um, wildlife adventures, safari itineraries, and that they do that in a responsible way. Um, so the eureka moment for us was that you know, you can go online and you can open up 15 tabs on your web browser and you can search in each one of those tabs for a for a safari and you will have 15 different providers across those tabs. And it then becomes quite complicated to choose to choose the right provider for you. Um, now, going on a safari wildlife holiday has always been deemed as quite complicated to plan. You know, you've got to get your flights to the, the location. A lot of these locations are quite um, uh, daunting. I mean, you know, first time flying into Nairobi uh, is going to is going to blow your mind. You know, it's it's a it's different. Um, and then putting together the different legs of transport, you know, Nairobi to Naivasha, Naivasha to Mara, Mara to Amboseli, Amboseli to the coast, you know, and then booking your accommodation along the route. Now, that's not for everyone. So we work with tour operators that provide those things all packaged up. And our website allows someone to search in one place for uh, location, price, experience, uh, and then they get a list of options. And then they can contact those operators directly from our website, uh, provide them with further information uh, about what they're looking for. And then once that connection or handshake has been made, then that client belongs to our travel partner. We only then answer any questions if the questions come back to us from that, from that traveler. Interesting, uh, and we and we just help to facilitate that relationship. That's it. Yeah, that's that's incredible because as someone who's currently planning a, a vacation or holiday to Italy, it's yep. daunting. There's a, so much information out there, and it's hard to pick and choose what is appropriate, like what you know actually interests you. And you're using multiple sources. I'm on TripAdvisor, and then I'm on yeah. you know whatever it is, and so that's Italy. That's one of the most visited countries on the planet. Now, for someone who wants to visit Africa, it's even more daunting. There are so many, there's so much more involved logistically 
and people are uncertain of the culture and I'm, I'm assuming safety is a big yeah. one, you know, and, yeah, sure. and I'm assuming a lot of the people that are using your service and that are interested in traveling to Africa are, are Westerners, probably a lot of people from the United States and Canada. And so to be able to use your resource as a one-stop shop, essentially you go online and you have all the information you need and you can then pick and choose which company is best suited for you is really it, it simplifies a very daunting task for a lot of people. Yeah. To me, yeah. as, a, as an outsider, it sounds like uh, uh, Expedia of Safari deals or a kayak of Safari deals. I'll tell you what, say that a couple more times, make sure <laughs> everyone knows that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, we, I, you know, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much, but absolutely, you know, we want to be that platform that's known as the place where you can absolutely go and connect with 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 a with a verified you know we we make sure that we get certain informational for operators you know if if they come to us uh, as an inbound inquiry to us to join our platform you know we try and verify them as much as possible you know where do you do business what's your do you have an online presence you know we check all that you know who are you do you have a license in the country that you operate you know what are you bonded you know what organizations tourism organizations do you meet with but more than that i mean you know probably about I'd like to say 60%-ish of the people that are on our platform, I've met personally at travel shows. You know, I, I've, I've spent the time going around these travel shows and, you know, going from Guatemala to Finland, you know, back to Botswana, you know, walking miles at ITB in Berlin, you know, to meet these people. Um, and, and so, therefore, you know when you come on our platform that we're going to be connecting you to someone who can do the job. Now, that's an ideal world, right? You know, so sometimes maybe your trip might not go 100%. Um, you know, that, that's the way it is. But all of those guys have been vetted onto our, onto our system. And, and so for someone, for someone that's doing the initial research using your platform, what are, or, or not, what would be the red flags for someone booking a tour for Africa? Like companies that you should not go with? Yeah, sure. So we've just started uh, talking to a company called um, Animondial. Um, now they're a they're a kind of a an over an overseer about responsible travel and how you should do that. Now kind of red flags are going to be you know what is their what do they look like um, in in terms of the trips that they've got you know uh, you know do they have any dodgy animal interactions um, are they asking for lots of money up front you know are they saying you need to pass a seventy five percent deposit you know. Um, you know, is their communication precise back to you? Do they answer in time? Um, you know, those are the things, you know, that I would be looking for. Now, if they're on our system, like I said, we've, we've vetted them to a point, you know. We, we know that, you know, people might be able to get around some of that stuff, but they are vetted to a point. Um, when someone makes a booking through our platform, you know, we obviously also get some of that data and, and, and we send out a communication uh, back to the client saying, you know, thanks very much for contacting these guys. If you at any point need to contact us to ask any questions of us, the, the overseer, you know, please do so and let us know how you get on. We also ask um, guests to go and review those people. If they've been on a trip, review the trip and review the, um, the, um, the operator. Um, and those reviews um, tell a lot, don't they? I mean, reviews are the big thing now. If you can get a peer-to-peer -peer review, off an operator and someone says I've had a fantastic time and you can see that it's a genuine review then that gives you uh, more confidence you know in booking that trip as well. Reviews are huge it seems like all of these platforms are now operating on the credibility of their reviews TripAdvisor, yeah, sure. Airbnb. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's a massive thing. A massive thing. You know, even like Uber, you know, you know, you can click yeah. a button on an Uber and say, yeah, great driver, use them all. But bad driver, don't. Or, well, now the drivers can rate the passengers too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a request from a passenger that has three stars. So you don't want to pick him up. No. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it goes a long way. Like you, you actually meeting the individuals and being able to vouch for them as, and say, you know, them, you feel comfortable with them as a company, as an individual and being able to pass it on to the people booking through your website is, is massive because it, that is someone, you know, vouching for the place you're, or the company you're going to book with. Yeah, I mean, it is important. I mean, I must say at this point as well, you know, that the we call them travel partners, but those travel partners can be um, any number of things. They could be, a, for example, a UK outbound tour operator, you know, so they've got offices in the UK, but they work with what we call local DMCs. So someone someone that, that's in country, or we, or we work with um, inbound tour operators. So for example, that may be a Colombian tour operator that's based in Colombia. They're on the ground. They plan their own trips and you connect with them directly. Or to bring it back to Africa again, you know, a, a little kind of husband and wife team, highly trained husband. You know, he's worked with a bigger company, been well trained as a guide, had a lucky break, bought himself two vehicles and set up his own mobile safari company. Right now, we want to work with those type of guys, those inbound tour operators, because, you know, we, we're helping out the small guy. You know, we're giving them a, an opportunity to connect to this international market and provide their services. Now, English is generally not always their first language. So you've you got to understand that when, you, when you're communicating with them as well. You know, as long as the communication is precise and timely and all of that, that's fine. You know, don't worry if a, a word's out of place here or there. You know, that's just them doing their thing. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to starting Safari Deal because it was you founded it in 2017 with Claire. Yep. Yep. Okay. And so, what was your background before that, and how did you guys come to this to 2017 and decide? You know what? This is where our life is gonna. This is the road we're taking now. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, how long? How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll distill it quickly. I, I grew up in Zim. I grew up in a ranch in the southeast of the country. You know. Um, I always like to say, you know, when you go into those old West towns, you know, with a swinging board and it says 27 and it's crossed out and it says 28, you know, <laughs> that's kind of the town where I grew up and it was a tiny little town. Um, so grew up there, moved back into uh, Salisbury, Harare now, uh, capital of Zim. And then in 1980, we moved down to South Africa. I finished schooling, university, did everything down there. Moved back up to Zimbabwe into Victoria Falls. Set up company, uh, company there working in the adventure tourism markets. So working with whitewater rafting companies, um, uh, doing all their film production and, and, and that type of stuff. And then moved across when things got a little bit um, rough and zim, moved across to Zambia where Claire and I just, just met and ran a five-star safari lodge out there. Um, and then uh, did four years of that. Um, got married on the banks of the Zambezi River out there. We bought, we bought land. Um, we had a nice parcel of land upstream from the Victoria Falls. Um, and then we were going to develop that into our own lodge. And then the credit crunch hit, uh, scuppered that plan, moved back to the UK with the plan of always going back. Um, and that never really happened. You know, two kids, dog later, we were here. 
but there's always been that bubbling kind of undercurrent of we needed to do something back in tourism. You know, Claire and I maintain jobs in tourism. So Claire's worked for big online tour operators, myself. I've got a digital company still kind of ticking along that does uh, digital services into tourism clients. Um, and, you know, Claire, Claire had a long history in, in Africa as well. She went out um, as a young woman, you know, to uh, Namibia, which is one of our favorite places. She works in Vintuk up in the Caprivi Strip, came back to England, hated it so much. She caught a plane back on Christmas Day from the UK back to Africa <laughs> and then landed up in Zambia where we met. Um, and so we've always had this great attachment to, to Africa in particular, but wildlife and, the, and that style of travel. So, like I said, the opportunity, you know, to, to bring all of these ideas and this digital marketing and our passion for Africa and our passion for conservation, passion just for travel in general, um, it's, it seemed like this plan has been formulating for about five years um, and we launched it properly officially in 2017. Do you, do you notice an increase of people traveling to Africa for safaris? Yeah, so, you know, in um, 2013, I think they say there was 12 million uh, safari trips that, that, that happened into Africa. And, that, that's, and that's growing at 10% annually. Wow. Now, so, you know, that's quite a big growth figure. You know, I think that some of that is that there's, there's a huge focus on conservation. You know, you guys have obviously picked up the stories in the Amazon and, you know, the destruction of that. You know, and when that's gone, it's gone. You know, it's hard to bring it back. You know, when the last rhino dies, that's it. You know, it's done. Same with the elephants or, you know, same with a mere leopard or, you know, whatever the case is. So I think there's a huge focus on conservation. I think there's this, almost this FOMO factor going on, you know, where, you know, people need to go and do these type of things. They need to experience this. And, and I think there's also, there's a kind of a circular kind of almost ambassadorial type of, I don't know what, quite what to call it, where people go on safari, the, the tour operators are much more responsible and, um, and, and keen on, on, on the experience side. So those guests then go back home and they become ambassadors for that story. And then more people travel and that's the kind of the circular thing that goes on. Um, you know, in 2018, um, the global luxury safari tourism business was worth just on just on a, over a billion dollars. That's going to double by 2023. Wow. Uh, wow. That's a massive jump. And, you know, these are these are figures that are out there. You know, they're available to go and to go and look up on the Internet. But, you know, that's not us sucking our thumb. You know, that's been verified by by researchers. So there's this huge growth in this market. And, you know, we're just we're just at the, at the beginning of this this doubling. Uh, growth now in 2019 so so we see huge scope um, to do this but to do it right and I think that hopefully a company like ours where where we do want to work with these responsible tour operators hopefully that will you know give some confidence in the market that they've been vetted and you can trust a platform like us to connect with a proper tour operator to have a good experience. So you're ideally with this doubling in growth and more and more people traveling to yep. see these animals that are endangered, close to extinct. Um, how, how does your company and how do the companies you work with promote conservation of those animals and do it in a sustainable way? Because we've talked about responsibility. We've talked about conservation and sustainability with those companies, but how do they actually do it with having twice as many people visit those habitats? 
Yeah, sure. So there, there is a problem with over-tourism. I, I think it's, it's, it's relevant across the board, uh, not, not just in this particular sector. You know, you, if you go down to places on the Serengeti or the, or the Ngorongoro Crater or places like Kruger National Park during the high season, you know, you've got, you've got traffic jams. You know, you've got, you've got vehicles kind of waiting. I think that w- what's very important is the operators that are operating in that, that the, the guides, the drivers are, are trained to a certain level where they know how to react in, in those situations. So, for example, back in the day, you may see 15, 20 cars, you know, on a lion kill, you know, all bumper to bumper and three feet away from the kill. You know, nowadays you would see, um, you know, there'd be 10, 10 meters back, there'd be less cars, you know, in certain game reserves, more private game reserves, you know, they won't allow more than three vehicles in on, on, a, on a particular sighting, for example. So I think companies are getting much better in that way. In, in terms of where the, the camp owners, for example, you know, they're building their camps much more sympathetically. Um, they're using a lot more uh, renewable type of energy sources, so wind and solar. Um, they're making them less impactful on the environment. I think there's a much, much greater kind of focus on animal interaction type safaris um, and, and the way that you do conduct yourself, you know, on, on a game drive, for example. Um, and companies like I mentioned earlier, Animondial, you know, they, they're an overseeing company where, where we hopefully will be working with them. We will then have a pack that we can send out to all our top tour operators or travel partners and say, please, can you sign off on this? That you are doing these 10 points um, and if we can then have a stamp of approval placed against that tour operator then we know that those guys are doing it properly uh, and we hopefully that that will then be picked up by by all the travel partners um, that that we work with but but over tourism is definitely a problem it, it, absolutely um, it seems I to think be it's individuals individuals yeah. need to sort individual companies need to do it but they, they're getting much better at it this always seems to be the conflict here, like with with over tourism, because you want to see the people flock to this country and support the local economy because yeah. that then that then helps the human population, but it also helps conserve these lands for these animals and it keeps the population alive. But then when you're there or you know, I'm sitting on my laptop and I'm just watching a lion hunt in Kruger National Park and it's yeah. just littered with with cars. And yeah. I, I'm always curious about how it actually impacts the natural um uh, habits of those animals and, and if you're yeah well yeah the behaviors yeah. and if they're actually even observing an animal naturally act naturally i don't i'm always weird about that but so you know where do you draw the line this is some a conversation that we just had on everest where you want to see the funds go into the mountain and help preserve it but at the same time you don't want a million people on the mountain at once yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's it, hard it, to it, find it, that it, balance it, 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 it is, you know, because, um, you know, there's, there's a saying and, you know, in the safari world, you know, it, you know, for, for the animals to stay, you know, they, they've got to pay. Um, and, and that means, you know, that if you've got a national park, it needs to generate funds. You know, the Serengeti needs to generate funds. You know, so everyone that goes through there pays a, pays a park fee. You know, those park fees then need to be spent in a responsible way. You know, so there needs to be a balance in terms of how many people you can get through the park and the money that's being earned to maintain the park and around and around we go. So, you know, coming, I'll come back to the Kruger thing just now, but if you, if you look what's an example might be, for example, Rwanda, you know, Rwanda has got gorillas, Uganda has got gorillas. Um, 
there's some amazing experiences around that. But if you put too many people in there and you get too much, too many people going in to visit the gorillas, you know, you've got risk of disease, you know, passing across, you know, the impact on the gorillas in terms of how they interact with you. You know, they, they habituated these gorillas, but would they be future conflict? If there's too many people, how would these gorillas, you know, behave? So one of the things that Rwanda did was, was almost double the, the price of the permit to go and see. Now, that hasn't slacked off demand, but what it's allowed them to do so far, we hear, is, is maintain a, a, a top level of visits, basically, and they can still generate good income. Uganda hasn't quite gone that, but they have, you know, they've put up their, they've put up their prices on their permits as well. Um, and that might be one way of doing it. You know, higher ticket price, I don't think you'd see, but it comes back to the point earlier, isn't it? You know, you want this to be accessible for more people, you know, not just the high value clients. Kruger, um, coming back to that, you know, it is a problem because, you know, you, you go and look on YouTube and you say, look at Kruger rhino or Kruger elephant, and you'll see elephants and rhinos flipping cars over. Now, yeah. my, generally, when you look at those videos, you go, well, what an idiot, you know? Why is he driving up to the animal like that? There's certain things that, that you do and don't do. And because it's an open park and you can self-drive it, not all of those people going in there understand those rules. And I think that there's a huge education um, point that, um, you know, that those parks need to educate people more, you know, and, and it, you know, it is up to them to do that. Yeah, there's rules and regulations as you drive in the front gate, you know, don't go up to animals, don't do this, don't feed them, you know, but you'll always have idiots. Um, that'll, <laughs> that'll flout those rules. You really will. Yeah, and, that's and the truth. And to be honest with you, the, the other side of that is, is that animals are unpredictable. If you're in the bush, you can be doing absolutely everything right and you can still get into trouble occasionally. And, yeah. and that's just the way it is. There was a report um, just recently um, from a Blue Planet cameraman. I don't know if you guys have seen this. If you just type in blue, you know, search it up just now when you have a moment. Guys saying that um, because of this, us going into um, into these places where, where they're wild, we are having an, uh, we are changing the behaviours of the animals. You go into the Serengeti and you've got cheetah jumping on the top of the vehicles, you know, to use them as lookout posts. You've got lions going coming into the shade of the vehicle to get out of the sun. You've got meerkats sitting on people's heads in the Magadigadi pans because that's what they naturally do. They try and elevate themselves to spot for predators. Um, and so this Blue Planet cameraman is saying, it's quite an extreme view, this, you know, saying that we should be providing VR experiences to people so that they don't go into the wild areas to have to interact too closely to the animals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. And I understand what he's, where he's coming from. And I mean, eventually, at some point, the VR technology may be at a level that provides you with an experience that could be so realistic, you don't even know the difference. It's essentially going to be a simulation where if they can produce that and it helps save these animals, then I don't know. Is it... I don't well, know. If people if still it, want the real thing. Well, if it triggers all the sensations that you're going to get from being there and you plug on these, these um, you know, the, the eye set and, and you're doing it, I don't know. It's, it's probably going to be a lot cheaper too, but... Uh, it, it, well, I mean, at that point, civilization has completely changed and we're not leaving our homes. Yeah, but I don't want to get too far on this. <laughs> but yes, something I that mean, I, I think I think that at, for some people at some point through maybe an educational kind of angle, that VR thing works. But I still think that 
the, the, the experience of, you know, bugs in your teeth, wind in your hair, you know, smelling elephant farts, you know, whatever that is, <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, the goosebumps on your, when you, when you see your first leopard, you know, you know, the goosebumps when you hear a lion roar for the first time in the wild. And the only thing separating you from that is, you know, half, you know, a third of an inch of canvas or something, you know, that you yeah. can't, you can't get any of that through VR, obviously. Right. Okay. So <laughs> something I'm curious about that I want your, that I want to hear your opinion on um, yeah. is trophy hunting. And I know it's extremely, it's a very controversial topic. And if you don't want to discuss <laughs> it, then by all means, like, let's not. But I know there's a big, it, it's a big topic in the United States between sure. rich people, rich guys, primarily that want to go to Africa. They, they shoot an elephant, they shoot a lion, they shoot a giraffe. And then they come back and people are outraged and then they go and say, Hey, I just spent $80,000 and I killed this giraffe. And yes, I took one giraffe out and I'm going to hang its wall on my head, but I just helped fund <laughs> the people who are living there and I helped support the, the conservation of that population. And so it seems to be a constant back and forth. Is this okay? Is this not okay? And I don't, I don't know. I don't really know enough about it to, to know if what they're doing is helping or not. So I'm just, I'm just generally curious in your opinion, is it, does it help promote conservation to ultimately kill off some of these animals? Hugely divisive topic. Th thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it really is a hugely divisive, you know, if you, if you're in the left camp, no, you know, your views are going to be so strong that you just, you, you say, I can't see how killing animals can help conserve them. If you're on the right camp and you have that, that view and you say, I know that by, by hunting, what, you know, and these things that they call them quotas, don't they? So they're saying you go out and a license is granted by a national, whatever that authority is to go and shoot that animal. Um, I'm, I'm paying a huge ticket price and some of that money is going to filter back into conservation. How much comes gets filtered back in, I, I don't really know, but those are the two camps and, and both camps will shout at each other constantly about who's right, who's wrong. I, I think that any conservationist will look at this and say that there's some middle ground, that, that there is a solution somewhere in the middle of that, that ultimately benefits the wildlife. You know, so you, you mustn't forget that a lot of the uh, concession areas in a place like um, the Okavango uh, Delta in, in Botswana, which is a pristine wildlife area. I mean, you've heard of the Delta, right? Okavango Delta, which is beautiful. I mean, it's a Kavango River comes in and there's this, it's the big, largest inland Delta in the world. Uh, and it, it supports a gazillion different animals. Where birds, is bugs, it? Except, so kind of North Botswana. So if you type in Okavango Delta, you know, you see this thing from space, it's so big, and it's this big green hand that comes in from the top of Botswana, and then the water just kind of runs out and seeps into the desert. A lot of those early concessions were all hunting concessions, and those areas were opened up by hunters um, in the early days, and then they've been turned over to photographic, and the outsides of those areas now are hunting kind of concessions. And some people argue that, those hunting kind of concessions almost act as a buffer zone to the central kind of thing. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if I really want to go in, in much more into this, but I think that there's a middle ground somewhere there where there's a good conservation solution to this thing and both parties can be made happy, to be honest. 
Yeah, I, um, I see your point, and I, you I know, and I don't. I, I, I think you know, shouting and hurling insults across the fence at each other is not going to is not going to sol solve it. I think working together, um, and 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 looking at at what the absolute key problems are, um, is 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 essential for the survival of both um, areas, natural habitat, as well as um, animal, uh, as well as the animals. You know, poaching is not just about animals. You know, poaching is about um, cutting down trees, you know, in national parks, you know. They, they, you know, I've got a great mate, Charles Brightman, you know, he might be a guy that you guys want to speak to. You know, he runs an anti-poaching uh, unit out of Victoria Falls, uh, Victoria Falls anti-poaching unit. A lot of what they do, um, you know, to stop the poaching is not just catching people. Yeah, it's taking out traps and ripping out snares and all of that, but it's about education and saying, well, why are these people poaching? Well, because they're hungry. You know, right. <laughs> that's it. Why are they chopping down the trees? Because they need to cook their food and they need to keep warm, you know? So it's an education problem. And, and that's then interacting with local governments, educating, you know, support. It's a bit hard in Zimbabwe at the moment, you know, how do you feed, feed people that are hungry and right. poor? Well, that's you know? one of the things that always interests me is it's easy to sit in a nice house in the United States and say, protect these animals and, not have a consideration for the people who are on the ground living in these African countries who want, you know, they want money too. And if, if, yeah, yeah we're like not, we're not seeing where, the full story here. It's, it's not black and white. It's gray. It's, and, it's not. And I'm so glad you said that. It's, it's an incredibly complex pro problem. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I grew up in a country where, you know, hunting, hunting was a huge industry, you know, in, in some aspects, it's still quite big in places like, you know, they say, you know, you know, ban, ban hunting. You know, you kill off the oh, man, you know, that, that would be worse, to be honest, if you banned this. You know, people say, I'm going to boycott going to South Africa because they just said that they'll allow someone to shoot a rhino. You know, okay, boycott, boycott going to Canada, boycott going to America, you know, yeah. boycott going to Tanzania. They still have hunting in Tanzania. You know, boycott any country that allows hunting. You know, you don't do that. What you do is you sit down and make sensible, sensible uh, dialogue and, and, and you, understand the problem better and you see how you can contribute right. you know don't be a keyboard warrior do something yes. <laughs> well that's something. Warrior, Whatever i like that, that. do, do something you know support a charity come and travel come to africa yeah. see what it's like come and you know bex again bex and global from african bush camps you know they got a, they work with some fantastic charities you know conservation charities come and come on the ground you can actually book a trip through bex um, through his contacts and come and work with an anti-poaching team. You know, it's a holiday. <laughs> come and do it. Come see what it's like on the ground. It's important to nail home. It's an education thing and that it's easy to put an opinion out there without having the full, uh, sure. the, the information from both sides. So I live in New Jersey and we've yeah. laxed uh, bear hunting laws and it's easy to say, you know, let's save the bears when we're not seeing bears. But now with the lax bear hunting laws, people are having black bear fights in their front lawns. The population yeah. is on the rise. And I bet you that if someone from New Jersey, New Jersey is the most populated state in the United States, talked to someone <clears throat> who lives in Alaska, who has to deal with grizzly bears, they would probably, the person in Alaska would probably say, hey, listen, like, yes, we want to save the bears, but you need to be able to control them to an extent and understand their populations, because if not, they're going to, they're going to eat your children and your pets, and they're going to present an issue for you, a safety concern. I don't know. It's just, there's so many different uh, sides to this and, and ways you can but go it, about it. And 
I think the most important, you know, coming back to, you know, if we can just distill all that down, I think that the most important thing is, is dialogue, sensible dialogue, you know, look, look at the facts, look at the figures, you know, interpret them correctly, you know, don't, don't, don't bugger around with the data, you know, the data says something and it's, and something's working or whatever, you know, it's like the Botswana president, you know, got chastised the other day at a, at a conference, you know, some, some guys jumped up when he was chatting and they, and they gave him a right revving and, you know, there was some, there was some chat. I mean, how do you go to the president of the country that has one of the most successful conservation stories in Africa, if not the world, and, and tell them they're doing it wrong or badly. I, I think that I think that's short-sighted. And you know, you know, hundred. I'm not sure the exact figures. You know, 120,000 elephants or something in the Okavango Delta. Wow. Don't quote I, me on that. I did. I, I looked at the Okavango Delta on Google Maps, and I do want to talk about it briefly because I had no idea this thing existed. And looking at it on Google Earth. It just seems like an impossible geographic landscape because this river just ends in the middle of the land. It doesn't discharge to the sea. It doesn't discharge to a lake. It just spreads out over this massive area in the middle of the continent. I think they yeah. did something on planet Earth on that, where is this a place it dries up in the, in the heat of the summer? And then the water comes rushing back in and it creates all this, this nice little thriving ecosystem. Yeah, so you have, a, you have an annual flood and actually, you know, they've got a big problem this year. You know, I think it's the worst drought that they've had in 90 years or something like that. So, wow. you know, that's a big, that's a really big problem because, you know, there's a I mean, annual tradition, you know, everyone in Maum, they go up to a point and, and you know, there's kind of cry that there's a guy waiting there and he comes running into the village, you know, the water's coming, the water's coming, you know, and it's this great event. And everyone goes down and it starts literally with a trickle, the width of your finger. And that trickle grows to the width of your hand and then bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the water is suddenly there. Um, you know, there are parts of the Delta that will always have water. Um, but, you know, through things like climate change, I guess, you know, uh, and just a, a drought time, um, the water doesn't spread as far as it normally would. And, and that's obviously a concern because, you know, it is such a magnet for animals you know, that come from all over, you know, to, to access, you know, the, the food and, and the water, you know, so when we say food, the grass or the, or the leaves, you know, for the herbivores or the, or the, or the meat for the carnivores, you know, and, and those, those populations then are, are, are grouped tighter and tighter and tighter, you know, into a dwindling resource. And, and so the, 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 again, complex problems, but um, it's an amazing place. Yeah. It's well, incredible. that's why the three of us, I guess, are trying to do all, all we can to just promote, uh, conservation and yeah. and help I don't know build build a community of of newcomers to help them understand the actual issues and that you do that by having people I think experience it and the more people Absolutely. that actually can go and experience it and see it with their own eyes it it really resonates with them and then they end up spending the rest of their lives talking about the time they spent in Africa or South America and Absolutely. why we need to conserve these places and it's one Absolutely. thing to to put a commercial on TV or watch a documentary on Netflix but to really help people travel to these locations and get these firsthand experiences, that's invaluable. Yeah. And it, it absolutely is. And I, th I think, you know, just what you've, you know, kind of described is, 
is a lot of what we believe at Safari Deals. You know, we, we believe that there's a thing on, you know, well, the whole world is, is, is centered around communities, right? You know, this community lives here, so they're, or this community believes a certain thing, or this community, you know, they like the color red or, or whatever that community is, whatever binds them together through common purpose. Um, is, is very important. So, you know, for us, our community is the safari slash wildlife community, people that that um, that want this. And, and if they can experience it, they become better ambassadors. And therefore that whole education thing goes on. And I think travel back in the old day was just travel. I'm going somewhere, I'm gonna do some stuff and I'm gonna come back. Travel now, you, you see everyone's talking about it. It's experiential. What experience are you gonna go and have? You know, what, what is that thing that, that that is the connection. It's not just I'm going to Botswana. Great. And now I'm back from Botswana. You know, I'm going to Botswana because of what's that experience? Right. There's yeah, always I think a that, reason. That, that, that delivery is getting better from the, from the camp owners, the guides, the, you know, instead of just saying, you know, driving at 40 k's an hour through the park going elephant, giraffe, warthog, <laughs> impala, you know, back for sundown. Yeah, right. People sundown, just going back down the list. Oh. I got the big five. I can go. Yeah, home. man, exactly. So, you know, the, the guides are so much better. You know, they'll stop and you can do things like canoe safaris now. You can do walking safaris. You know, the guides are incredible. You know, the amount of knowledge they have in their heads and, and, and that they're willing to share with you, you know, is, is incredible now when you go on these trips. So I want to shift gears to a specific location that you provided yeah. to us um, in, in our correspondence. So Sri Lanka, I, I, a lot of people know that they suffered a, a terrorist attack, and I don't want to discuss that at all. I don't think we need to touch up on that. What I want to do is bring it to the attention of our listeners that this is a beautiful country with some exceptional wildlife. And I want to kind of bring focus to that and help maybe help people understand that they should be going to this country, that things... But still, they still can, yeah. Yeah, they still can. It's still a safe country. It's a beautiful country with a great culture. And I kind of want to just hear some of your, your experiences there or your thoughts on the country and what people can expect to see if they do travel to Sri Lanka. Yeah, I mean, you know, we met some, some wonderful, wonderful people from there, you know, not, you know, meeting them at these shows and what have you. And, you know, they're so keen, they're very, very welcoming people from, you know, the, 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 the people that I've met. You know, they have fantastic national parks, you know, Sri Lanka, uh, is the one place where you can see the two largest mammals on the planet, you know, both an elephant and a whale in the same place. Um, wow. So, so they have a, an amazing coastline. Now, you know, yes, countries have problems, you know, so, you know, Zim has problems, you know, but problems are, are generally um, centered around certain areas, right? So, you know, normally populous areas, you know, once you get out into Yala National Park or, uh, Udalawe National Park or whatever the case is, you know, you are in pristine wilderness areas, you know, and, and you've got, you've got leopards in Sri Lanka, uh, you know, elephants, you've got sloth bears, you know, amazing bird life. And you've got the Indian Ocean. What are sloth bears? Uh, yeah, you're going to have to look it up. It's, it, it's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. he's, he's a, they, they're quite, um, they're quite shuffle. I don't know how to best explain them. You know, they're quite, they shuffle along and they, you know, they, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty grumpy some of the time, you know, they, you know, you've got to be careful of them. They're, it's a big animal. Um, they have one at the Philadelphia zoo. Actually. There you go. Do they really? Yeah, they do. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing that I always, that I always think of is, you know, Baloo the bear from Mowgli, right? (laughs) I always, I always think of him as a sloth bear. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so there, it's a bear species, species native to, you know, kind of the Indian subcontinent, really. Um, One of the things that drew my attention to Sri Lanka was uh, pictures that I was seeing of people overlooking like an elephant sanctuary yep. where I, one specific picture that always stuck out of my mind is like there's these two people it's a couple sitting in a hot tub and they're overlooking like a herd of elephants walking and drinking water like in this in these baths and it was just such an incredible it just seemed I know it's not you know pristine or not it's not completely natural or anything but it just seemed like a really awesome way to observe these animals in the wild and Elephants have always interested me. There, there aren't any elephants to see in, in the United States other than going to like Tennessee. I think maybe like yeah, Disney sure. World has them, but there's a big sanctuary in, in Tennessee. So that's something that's on high on my bucket list to come to either Africa or maybe Sri Lanka and actually see those elephants in the wild one day. So I think what you're referring to is, is there's, a, there's a, a thing called the elephant gathering and it's at a place in uh, Minerva. And so these elephants all come down, you know, and you can have over 300 elephants in, in this place and they, they come down, you know, with the receding, the receding water, to, you know, to come and feed on the grass. And so Minerai, uh, M-I-N-N-E-R-I-Y-A. Yeah. Um, and so they, they, they come down, you know, because they, they gather there because of food, you know, and, you know, some might say, you know, that it's also a bit of a social gathering. You know, you often, for example, in Africa as well, you know, you'll get groups, different family groups of elephants coming down to a waterhole and then, and then interacting um, in a certain way and, and, and not, not related in any way, um, but you'll see very, you know, very precise interactions. Um, and this is, you know, this is why you need, you will need to chat to someone like Garth, you know, he's an expert guide and you'll be able to, um, you know, the guys that you guys interviewed before, Garth Hovel, you know, and he'll mm -hmm. be able to tell you stories around that interaction and why they do it. But, you know, those are the things that if you, if you have a good guide on safari, that these are, you know, these are the stories you'll get out of them and exactly what they do. And, and then they all just kind of split up again into their groups and, and they disappear into the, back into the wild. Yeah, that's so cool. So Sri Lanka, you know, I mean, great, you know, and there's, there's an expression out there as well, you know, um, uh, bush and beach, you know, Sri Lanka is made for bush and beach, you know, where you, you go and do safari is hard work, by the way, <laughs> you know, you're not just uh, lounging around, you know, you're getting up at five in the morning, you're getting a cup of warm Joe down you. And, and then you're on a game drive vehicle, you know, bouncing around for three hours. Then you're back for a brunch, quick siesta, and then you're back out again in the afternoon, you know, to maximize your time, uh, to, you know, to go and interact in the, in the wilderness. You know, so a lot of a lot of um, the itineraries uh, that our guys supply to us have that either that element of, of beach on the end or history. Okay, and Sri Lanka's got fantastic history, where you can then just go and relax a little bit at the end of a safari, and that really works well in terms of an itinerary. Can we talk a little bit about the variety of your itineraries? Because you have yeah, what, sure. over a hundred travel partners now. Oh wow! No, we we've got over three hundred travel partners now. Oh wow! Uh, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we're growing at about we're growing at about five signups, travel partners signing up to us every week. Oh, um, word! And those travel partners then um, initially uh, load up five itineraries with us. So we're coming up to five hundred itineraries at the moment on the on the platform. Um, you know, so you know, at, at what they call a big five safari in Sri Lanka. You know, yeah. To give you an idea from uh, our our travel partner there, uh, Sri Lankan Expeditions, you know, seven days 
for just over 1,500 US dollars per person. Okay, that doesn't include flights, but that's that's your entire itinerary wrapped up. That's that's a really good deal. <laughs> so this is the thing you wow. can get in, you can get into these areas without without having to sell a child or, or you know or yeah. a car or you know, <laughs> rent out half your house. You know that's why I'm glad we were, were talking to you, and that's why you know we decided <laughs> to even do this because people think it's so much money, and maybe at one point yeah. it was. I'm sure it was. It was probably incredibly expensive to go into these countries, but it's not anymore. Anybody yeah. can do these. You know, you don't need to dismiss it as being uh, a logistical nightmare or just out of your no. realm of, of travel. You don't need to continue to go to Cancun or whatever, uh, no. you know, Europe. You can go to Africa. I mean, talking Lanka. about, but yeah, exactly. Lanka, but I mean, right. talking about, talking about Cancun, if you did want to go to Cancun, <laughs> yeah. if you did want to go to Mexico, you know, we work with a partner down there, um, Pelagic Safaris, you know, you, you can go down there and go into an amazing you know, if that if that's your thing is the dive world, you know, you can go down there and, and go on a dive safari. Is that Pelagic Fleet? Yeah, so yeah. part of the uh, part of the same guys. Yeah, yeah. We uh, oh, we're wow. actually we've been going back and forth with uh, George. Yeah. George. Yeah, yeah. So, so Pelagic Fleet's is on with us as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we we oh, yeah, that's awesome. May get them yeah. on uh, very soon. We've been going back and forth with them. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Mexico no. is also great for birding, you know, in the uh, Yucatan uh, Peninsula, you know, yeah. great birding down there. So, you know, in terms of the range of, 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 of stuff that we've got on, you know, we've got, we've got stuff in South America, we've got stuff in Central America, you know, Africa, you know, we're talking to a bunch of people out in West Africa at the moment. Uh, we think that there's some exciting opportunities out there. Um, you know, I've got a, I've got another friend, um, that works for a company uh, called African Parks. Now they're another great organisation. Their their focus is to is to go to governments that have been battling to run their national parks, and they come in and take over management and they reinstate these parks, uh, not only in terms of their their wildlife and and um, land management, but also in terms of putting together um, proper uh, plans to to reintroduce um, safaris into huh. these parks. Um, so Penjari National Park is one of their one of their recent projects and and it's just absolutely stunning. You know, there's there's no one else up there, you know? And that's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's just just good stuff, man. So you have uh safari connections on every continent except for Antarctica, is that correct? Yeah, no, so we, we work with some people that do that do cruise stuff uh oh. down down there, I mean, uh-huh. um, we we are chatting to a couple of them. I mean, you you are getting into a slightly different league again when you when you start talking about about these areas because one, it's it's harder to get to, right? So you've either got to go on a on a big boat or you've got to fly and flying in is going to be expensive. Uh, and then, of course, because of the extremeness of the location uh, and and the limits of the options. You know, you, you can't just go and pitch a tent down there, right? <laughs> so, you know, you've got to stay at a, at a proper facility. But, um, yeah, we do we do work with some folks that, that do these these type of trips. You know, but you're talking, you know, ticket prices then range kind of from the, the 20 grand per person upwards. Whoa, all right. So so that's, that's wow, a bit really? of a d- different league. But, you know, there's, there's yeah. guys already out there. There's a company, I think they're called White Desert. So, you know, that's their speciality. But, it, huh. but that, that's a slightly higher ticket price. Yeah. Ellie and I have been kicking around the idea of hiking Argentina, maybe Patagonia, and then making yeah. our way into uh, like Tierra del Fuego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So you're saying that it's about 20,000? Yeah, I mean, the company that we've been chatting to, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> up just at, just at the minute as well. Yeah. But, but, you know, you can still, if you got on to um, Patagonia, you know, you're going to have some unbelievable um, experiences down there. Right, right. You know, again, it's, it's one of our key areas that we, we need to get better at is, is South America. Um, we've been doing a we've been doing a big drive into um, into the into the, the continent, you know, to try and get more people or get in front of more people and you know tell them our story uh, and get them get them on board with us. But yeah. uh, we are we are making inroads. You, you know, know, another place another place down there is the Falkland Islands. Yes, um, they're interesting. Yeah, very yeah. really really interesting place. Uh-huh. You know, really good um, really good birding. Um, yeah, but again, hard to get to. Um, you know, we live in, a, in an age where exploration is kind of out the window. We've seen every, every corner of this planet has seemingly uh, been stepped on. But we, <laughs> we do live in a time where accessibility is like it's never been before. Yeah, we, sure. can, we can go anywhere for relatively cheap. And there's so much information out there on how to do it. And a site like yours is sort of this one-stop shop for... Yeah the harder stuff at the time that, you know, where, where we are right now, but it's really cool. You know, we missed the exploration era. We're not quite going to be <laughs> in the ex- space exploration era, but we are in a great time for accessibility to the planet. Uh, I think, but- I think it's a, I think it's a mindset. I think if, you know, if you are a traveler and you guys are, um, you know, every, every time I go somewhere, I mean, I'm, I'm personally really excited, you know, and, my kids roll their eyes at me and they go, wow, God, why does dad talk to everyone? And I go, because I'm excited. I want to, I want to hit, I want to see who these people are. And, you know, and, you know, and that, that's just me. So for, for me, you say, yeah, sure. They might've been people there before, but for me, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm David Livingston. I'm Stanley, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, this is, this is my adventure, my exploration. And for me, it's the first time. And, right. and I think that, I think that sometimes maybe, if you, if you look at it through those, you know, just look at it through new eyes every time you go somewhere. Right. Um, you know, be excited yeah. about it. I, 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 I know that, exactly. That's key. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. I mean, I, I, I've, I don't know if you've ever been there like Croatia, but Dubrovnik is an incredibly populated yeah. city overran with tourism to an extent, you know, and so some people go into that and they, they hate it. It's, there's too many people there and they really don't enjoy it. But I go in and I kind of, I have a, awesome ability to sort of dismiss it and I can just genuinely look at the architecture and feel the place that I'm in and understand it and want to know the history and I can enjoy it just as if I'm there you know without any of those people and any of those issues I don't know and that's that's kind of the mindset that I'm going to take with Italy with going to Rome and Venice yeah yeah yeah. I mean you know exactly you know it's you know it's the first time for you you know so yeah yeah so so be Scott you know be you know, be fines, you know, be whoever the adventurer you want, you know, yeah. absolutely. So as we, as we start to come to a close, I do want to ask, um, with safaridealscom and what you and Claire created, what do you more than anything want people to take away from the experiences that you're connecting them with? I think just what we've been talking about, to be honest, when you go and travel, it doesn't matter where it is, but you know, go with an open mind, don't, miss, don't, don't go with a, a, a fully preconceived idea, you know. You're going to have seen stuff. You're going to have watched Blue Planet. You're going to have watched, you know, some Attenborough documentary or something. But don't, don't go with a, too much of a preconceived idea of, about what it is. And, and, and be willing to learn. Be willing to 
open your eyes, open your ears, you know, maybe even go as far as, you know, open your heart, you know, learn. And once you've learned and you understand, make sure that you go home and tell your friends about what, what that experience is about. And, and I think if, if you can do that, then you will come back having a much, much more genuine experience than, um, than if you didn't. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think really that, that's it, you know. We, we just want to make sure that that is the primary thing. But I, but I think ultimately, you know, just, just learn, understand what's going on. You know, there's some really complex things out there. And, and if you can make a difference when you come back, you know, by telling your friends and, and getting them to do this, then, then maybe we'll, we'll create, a, create a future, you know, for our kids to be able to go and do some of these things as well. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I want to, I just want to reiterate, you know, I think the big takeaways here is that you have created this platform for anybody listening that's interested in doing a safari, not just in Africa, in any, yeah, uh, sure. anywhere else, you have this one-stop shop. You can learn about the country. You can discuss uh, logistics with different companies within each location. You can yeah. pick and choose where you want to go, how you want to do it. You have this family information, family friendly, everything. So it's, you know, safaridealcom All your social media platforms are just Safari Deal. Yeah. So we, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And it's all just Safari Deal. One word. We're out there, man. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Awesome. Thank you so well, much. Listen, for it's, us, it's been so great chatting with you guys, you know, both Elliot and Bob. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me on. And um, yeah, I've re- I, yeah, great fun chatting with you. So. There are almost too many great affordable trips to choose from. And I'm on his website now. I'm on safaridial.com right now. And Sri Lanka, as we were discussing, you can go there for eight, d- eight days. Eight for days. About eight days for like 1600 bucks. It takes you to the national parks, archaeological sites. That's, that's affordable, man. And yeah, obviously you know, it doesn't include flights, but still, like, uh, depending on when you find flights through like Scotch Cheap Flights, they're maybe like 600 round trip. Right. And, but I mean, the $1,600, that's eight days. That's, that's the stays. That's so much of the planning is taken away from you. It's when you break it down, like, I don't know, like talk, saying to somebody like $1,600, it might sound like a lot, but I bet if you were to compare the two side by side, the planning that you would have to involve yourself with, um, the hotels, the food costs, you're going to, you might end up paying a day. Yeah. You might end up paying even more. Yeah. So, so if you're planning a trip to Sri Lanka or Africa, look at some of these costs because they're way cheaper than I thought they were. This is way more feasible than, than I was originally thinking. And I'm really happy we, we talked with him today. Yeah. The every man safari. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, there's a seven day wildlife experience in Uganda for $1,400, seven days in Uganda. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 And we do want to mention that Robin, Claire and safari deal is entering, um, they're, they're kind of trying to push into their next phase of being a company since they've been around for two years. They want to get a little bigger. Um, and to do that, they need funding. So they're actually opening up preceding for the next phase. And you could actually invest in the company if you believe in what they're doing and want to actually make a little bit of money as well. So that is available on our website. If you just follow the link on the contacts and references on our episodes page so please um rate us on itunes reach out to us robin reached out to us through garth and we kind of like this sort of web of connections and the network that we're building so if you know somebody that you think should be on the podcast 
we put a priority to recommendations like that. So send them over. Um, and, uh, and thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week.